0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Listener supported. WNYC Studios.
0: Wait, you're listening.
2: Okay. All right.
3: Okay. All right. You're listening listening to Radio Lab. Radio Lab. From WNYC. See? Yeah.
4: Hey, I'm Latif Nasser. This is Radiolab. Uh, starting with a quick announcement, but a fun one. Uh, our merch store, which we're calling Camp Radiolab this time around because there's this great camp-inspired t-shirt, is open for one more week. Uh, head on over to radiolab.org shop sometime before July 29th. Uh, you can get aforementioned T-shirt, as well as hats and sweatbands and other summer gear, water bottle. Um, Once you are decked out in all that Radiolab swag, take a pic, tag us on Insta or Twitter. Um, Yeah, just show off your nerdy summer self. We'd love to see it. Again, that is radiolab.org slash shop for all your summer gear needs, um, which you will need because it is hot. I am sweating. You may be sweating. Uh, You may not be able to think about anything other than the next time you can get in a pool or a walk-in freezer or something. But let me ask you about something you are probably not thinking about, which is, how are those New Year's resolutions from seven months ago? How are you doing with those? Um, I ask because... The episode you are about to hear, uh, which is an oldie, uh, it's called "You Versus You." It, it, it's all about this kind of struggle, this struggle between the prudent, well-planned version of you that you imagined in the past, and and then the impulsive, <laughs> instant gratification chasing you of of this moment right now. And and if you like me, are a kind of living walking mockery of your own imagination of yourself from the past maybe this episode will help um who knows either way i hope you enjoy it here it is you versus you okay from the top you ready yep hello hello how are you doing we're gonna start
2: things off today with this lady.
0: Zelda Gamson. Welcome to our little spot.
3: It's beautiful. Thank
2: you. She's 80 years old, and these days, Zelda lives a quiet life by the sea.
0: On Martha's Vineyard. Did you have some coffee?
2: She visits with her grandkids, does some gardening. We
0: have a bird feeder, and it is the bird show of the world.
2: (laughs) But life for Zelda wasn't always so calm. Back in the 60s, when our story begins, she was a very different kind of lady. She even went by a different nickname. Just
0: Z. (laughs) Okay, I was a smoker 30 years. I started when I went to college in 1954.
2: At first, it was just a cigarette here or there.
0: Letting the bad girl out a bit. And then I got hooked, really, and I couldn't stop. Went to graduate school, smoked, got my dissertation, smoked, got my degree,
2: smoked. And somewhere in the fog she meets...
0: Hi, My friend Mary
2: Also a smoker
0: Loved smoking, made me feel very elegant (laughs) We were very good friends We were part in the early 60s of the Congress on Racial Equality
2: Together they'd organize protests Well, we
0: would demonstrate
2: And the two of them would even go undercover to fight
0: Housing discrimination
2: And the backdrop to all of this social change
0: Smoke You got it I mean, our houses were filled with these ashtrays How
2: much were you smoking at that point?
0: Probably smoked a pack a day. I was a worse smoker than Mary. You know, I was sometimes up to two packs a day. Wow. You know, I had kids. I was pregnant. Did um, you uh, smoked
2: while you were pregnant? I did. Wow. Yeah.
0: I feel so guilty about that.
2: So at a certain point, Zelda and Mary decide they want to stop. Yeah. yeah. Now Mary, who'd never been as badly addicted as Zelda, it wasn't easy.
0: It was agonizing.
2: But eventually she's able to do it. Zelda...
0: No. I thought sometimes that I could stop, and so I would.
2: Over and over, she'd throw out her cigarettes.
0: Okay. Done. But then? Then I'd be around somebody with cigarettes. Oh. F.
2: Any reason that she'd give herself
0: cancer. My kids. The smell. The fact that I could die.
2: It always lost out to the urge.
0: And I'd always start smoking again.
2: And this is how it would go resolve. <sighs> Failure. Resolve. (sighs) Failure. Okay, so this is not the most unusual situation in the world, but the question we want to ask right now is,
3: like, how do you get out of this? You know, you want to do something badly, but then another part of you says, no, I don't want to do that. So if you against you, what do you do? I'm Jad Abumran. I'm Robert Krulwich. This
2: is Radio Lab, and today... The little deals that you make when you are stuck with yourself okay so before talking with zelda just so happened that i'd went with adam davidson one of the planet money guys to visit uh this fellow nobel prize winning economist named thomas who's written a whole lot about the seemingly simple idea of commitment
1: arranging it so that you can't compromise I'll give you an example.
2: Here's one from ancient Greece.
1: Xenophon, the Greek, who uh, was being pursued by a huge army of Persians, had to make a stand on a hillside. And one of his generals said, I don't think this is a good location to make our stand. There's a cliff behind us. There's no way we can retreat if we need to.
2: And Xenophon told his general, exactly.
1: Welcome, the cliff.
2: In fact, he said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to march our armies so that their backs are directly to the cliff. That way...
1: The Persians will know that we can never retreat. We're bound to fight to the death. You're
2: really binding
1: yourself. You're not binding the other side. Yeah. It's, it's attempting to influence somebody else's choice by restricting your own choice.
2: But then we asked him, what if your adversary isn't on the outside like the Persians, but rather it was you? <laughs> How do you do what Xenophon did to yourself?
1: Yeah, I, uh, I began smoking when I was 17 years old. I, I did quit several times. But I always uh,
2: went back. Ooh. But he did, tell, he did give us some suggestions. Mm-hmm. One in particular that was so awesome, to use your favorite words, I so hate, I... diabolical yeah. that we just didn't think anyone would ever do it. Ooh. That is, until we met Zelda. Yeah. Fast forward a few decades
0: 1984
2: Mary and Zelda now live in different parts of the country
0: I happened to be going to a conference in Vermont and Mary picked me up at the airport Right And I was smoking when she picked me up Which was curious because nobody smokes anymore She said, why Zelda? Are you still smoking? And Zelda said Yeah, and don't tell me to stop (laughs) I was very belligerent. Yes. (laughs) So I went to the conference and
2: smoked. And were they guilty cigarettes?
0: No, they were delicious.
2: (laughs) But what Mary said was starting to worm its way into her brain.
0: Are you still smoking? Still smoking? Still smoking? Still smoking? And when she dropped me off at the airport, I said, okay, Mary, as if she had been putting pressure on me, (laughs) which she wasn't at all. If I ever smoke again... I'm going to give $5,000 to the Ku Klux Klan. What? Did she say $5,000 to the Ku Klux Klan? Correct.
2: This was Schelling's suggestion. It can work. But he didn't think anyone would ever do it.
0: $5,000 to the Ku Klux Klan. It just came out of my mouth. Huh. You know how horrible they are, right?
2: Sure. So heinous. But her and Mary made a deal.
0: Uh, packed.
2: If Zelda smoked, she'd have to tell Mary to send the KKK her money.
0: Take it out of my savings or something.
2: And you were really serious? You were going to do this? Yeah. But
0: I have to say, after I made this pledge to Mary, under my breath, I said, but I can't be responsible if she smokes again.
2: What? If she smokes again? If
0: she smokes again.
2: Who's the she in that sentence? Me. You. What does that mean?
0: Well, that means that a part of me, the part of me that was smoking and that might pick up smoking again was an alien part.
2: You're saying you were two people at that moment? Yeah. And she...
0: Zeke didn't really want to stop smoking. She? She, yeah.
2: After the pact, Zelda says that often when she would fall asleep...
0: I would dream of myself smoking...
2: And she'd wake up in a terrible sweat. Reach for her cigarettes. But every time she says this other thought would just rush into her mind.
0: The KKK.
2: Robes, burning crosses, lynchings. Oh god. And she'd throw the cigarettes down.
0: I couldn't.
2: The idea of them having her money.
0: I can't even imagine it.
2: Sounds like you really backed yourself up against the cliff. I did. <laughs> Zelda had found a thought that was hotter than the urge.
0: And she didn't smoke again. Never again? No. Nope. That was it, cold turkey. Wow. Look at this. There's a picture of me on a cruise that Bill and I took. Here she is. <laughs> it's a profile picture of me. Let's look at the cigarette. <laughs> I look gorgeous there. See, the That's the best picture ever taken of me.
2: Now, if we are many people on the inside, and we've talked about this on the show before, how, like, our brain is literally divided into these camps that sometimes wrestle and fight. Well, the problem, problem according to Thomas Schelling, is that these selves... ...never exist simultaneously. We're never
1: at the table together. The one who's in charge never confronts the other. I guess that makes it hard to compromise.
3: Although, you know, there is another way to think about the problem.
5: Things that are offered right now have so much more power than things that are offered in the future.
3: Uh, This is David Eagleman. He's a neuroscientist. And he says, you know, really, you could think about this whole thing as a battle about time.
5: We'll make all sorts of very poor economic decisions. Now versus later, really. If something is offered right now versus later. When you look at the neuroimaging, it becomes clear that there are different parts of the brain that that are battling this out.
2: And the now parts are way stronger.
5: Yes. Here's the key. What she's doing in the case of the cigarettes is she's saying, I know that I want to win this long-term battle, but I'm having a heck of a time doing it. But if I can make the long-term plan tied into a different immediate feeling of disgust, then all I have to do is have the disgust battle the, the desire.
3: I see. And so she's what she's done is she's turned this battle into a present tense battle on both sides. I want a cigarette now.
5: Versus I hate the KKK now. Now. Precisely. So it's a
3: now versus
5: now thing. And I think that's the only way we ever win these long-term battles is to give them some sort of emotional salience, some reason why they matter to us right now, otherwise it'll never work.
2: And there are any number of ways of doing this. Here is how Thomas Schelling did it.
1: 1980, gather my children together, and I said, I quit, and that... They should never have respect for their father again if I return to smoking.
3: And he never, he never did? Yeah, it. that was it for him. Huh.
2: The thing I like about, about those two stories is that like, there's a case where, like, okay, say you've got these cells battling in your head. You've got the now part and the later part, and the later part's weak. Yeah. In this case, the later part found a way to trick the now parts. Mm. And this has a name, this kind of approach. It's called a Ulysses contract. In the Iliad, make that the Odyssey. there's a moment where Ulysses and his men have to sail past the island of the sirens. And Ulysses knows if they hear the siren's song, they're dead.
5: Sailors were so attracted to these melodies that they would steer towards them and crash their ships into the rocks and die. So on his way there, before the music started, he came up with a plan. He had his men lash him to the mast with ropes so that he couldn't move. And he had them fill their own ears with beeswax. And he said, no matter what I do, no matter how I'm gesticulating or shouting or acting like a crazy man, just keep rowing, just keep going. And so, when they got to the sirens, Ulysses, he goes nuts, And he's screaming and yelling and telling the men, go towards the women. We don't want to pass this up. And of course, the men have beeswax in their ears. They're not swayed by the siren song. Because he had planned for this. The present tense Ulysses. By using his men and the rope had literally bound.
2: The future Ulysses. To the mast. Because he knew that guy would be weak.
4: Learn more about high-yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk, performance not guaranteed, cash reserve offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. What
6: should I play? I haven't even tried this piano yet. Why don't we play
3: a little bit of a piece that I think you might know? It's a new season of the Open Ears Project. I'm Terrence McNagg. Here with stories from people who share the piece of classical music that guided them through some of the most important chapters in their lives. Listen now wherever you get podcasts. We can just move off the ocean for just a moment. Gone. Get out of your ocean. <laughs> radio what a weird medium anyway <laughs> what if the bargain that you strike isn't just about something you know very very small and now like this puff of smoke what if it's a, a deal that you have to do that will decide what you're going to do for every day of the next 40 years yeah what then
2: well this brings us to a story from our producer pat walters ready mm-hmm. okay set it up okay uh
6: okay i'm in chinatown about a year ago, corner of Pell and my friend Jenny posted something on Twitter. It said, "Overheard." I flipped a coin, and I lost my life.
2: I flipped a coin and lost my life. Yes. And what's Twitter? <laughs> no, I mean she she actually heard someone say this. Yeah, she was just like she's a reporter. She was just
6: chatting with the guy, and he's and he said he said that to her. I flipped a coin and I lost my life. What was the context? Uh, well, she was getting a massage in Chinatown. And how would that phrase come up in the middle of a massage? I, I don't. I, I honestly don't know. But don't, she's a reporter, did she,
2: didn't she? did she ask? She didn't, <laughs> she didn't I, say, get your hands off me, man, and tell me the story. I don't know exactly
6: what went down, but I asked her what the situation was. She said that she basically didn't know anything. but She just heard that. She heard it, and she told me that it was at this place that was like either at one of seven different addresses that she gave <laughs> me. There? So I just wandered around. Yes, uh, do, do you know of some place around here called Health Trail, a uh, massage place? I have no idea. No? Wandered around to several different addresses. Damn. And eventually I found this tiny little storefront. There's a little sign with some feet.
7: Ugh. Kind of hidden. Oh. You want to see my, my son?
6: And I found the guy who said the thing. Hi. Hi. Ooh. How are you? I'm okay. His name is Dennis. Uh, Dennis? And I just asked him, tell me
7: about this coin
6: flip. Can you tell me, can you, so when did this happen? Well, it happened about four years ago.
7: I was 26 and my brother was uh, 21.
6: Both of them had gone to college, Dennis for photography, his brother for
7: art. And they'd come out of school with these big dreams. Being new places, meeting new people, making a life and making money. But that hadn't really worked out. No
6: job for me. They're having a hard time finding jobs, and they ended up living at home with their dad. Yeah, with
7: my dad. So basically, I just stay home home, take picture. And my brother... He's just working at a restaurant. Low life either. So this is basically post-college flail. Yeah. Like they're stuck. Stuck in the middle of the road. That's what happened to us. One day, their dad comes up to them and says,
6: look, guys. One of you guys got to follow me. I need one of you. I
7: don't care which one of you but I need one of you to take over the family business. My father's getting old, just decide I either both of you come out or one of you come out.
2: Uh, so one of them now has to carry on his his thing. Yeah. But what does the dad do? He runs this massage parlor. Yeah.
6: Sons were not interested. So,
2: yeah, neither of us want, really want to do it. That's Kai. Kai Wu.
7: Dennis's little brother. Because touching people's food it some kind of disgusting, right? You know, there's always a hairy guy or like some girls like busted toes it's disgusting and annoying facing a father for 24 hours seven days a week yeah a like, little more than i can take like i love my dad <laughs> but you just don't want to follow your dad's footsteps. but the dad says get over it it's about family keeping the business alive keeping the technique he has alive in the whole china town i don't think any massage place or any therapy place will have my father technique it's a special kind of thing yeah it's this like deep tissue acupressure. It's painful. Type massage. I don't know if Jenny told you that. No. It's really, really painful.
6: Anyhow, they're sitting at home, and this question is kind of like silently hanging over them for days and weeks, till one day they're at a friend's place having some tea, talking about their dad, and Dennis looks up at his brother and says, Let's make a bet. Let's do the tea leaves
2: thing. The what? Let's see what the, what the, what the tea leaves say.
6: Well, Dennis says, When you're drinking loose tea the Chinese way, you put the leaves right in the bottom of your cup and you pour the water over them. Usually, the leaves float up to the top flat on the surface of the tea. But every now and
7: then... Every 10 cup, you might see the tips is floating
2: and the rest of the body is uh, inside the water.
7: So like the stem, sort of?
2: Yeah,
6: yeah.
7: And then the leaf is
6: hanging
2: down? Yeah. You mean like every so often, instead of the whole leaf being on the top of the water, the leafy part just falls to the bottom? Anyway. Yeah.
6: And just the tip of the stem is touching the, the surface of the water, almost like it's hanging down from the surface of the water. And this is
7: rare? Okay. Yeah. So when you get that, that means good luck. And is that like a traditional... It's one of old people that was doing it. That's how we understand it when we were kid. Yeah. Yeah. So we just decide, okay, whoever get that...
6: Whoever gets the most lucky tea leaves... Win.
7: <laughs> whoever win, you're out. You don't need to work for my dad. Yeah. Whoever lost follow my father's footsteps. They trusted their whole future to this? Yeah. So it, was like, it was like a spur of the moment thing. It re- it yeah, we didn't re- yeah, we didn't really plan anything. So Sometimes people just flip a coin. Like they can't figure out which way should they go, so they just flip a coin. When you pour, pour the hot water in, they were like rolling around, like a small tornado inside, they all spinning. And then,
6: once it's done, each cup has a layer of tea leaves on the surface. And Dennis
7: notices, Whoa, look at it! (laughs) that he'd gotten one. One piece. That was like, wow! That's incredible.
6: Then he looked over to his brother's cup.
7: Oh my God.
6: Way more of these lucky leaves. It was pretty obvious, you know, that he lost. And it wasn't even close. No. Do you remember if he was like, Angry or... He looks like he was deep in thought. I don't think like,
7: damn. It was like, it's the worst thing in my life.
6: And it basically was, because now he was bound by these tea leaves to go and work for his dad. Oof. What what happened? Did you?
7: The first day I come here to work, I don't feel like touching anybody's foot. So he forced me to touch his foot. Did he have to, like, grab your hand and... He would just sit there, take off his shoes, without washing his feet. Okay, that's kind of disgusting. So he just tell me to try to work on it. His dad eventually said, practice on your friends. I was like, oh, God, no. They still hate me right now for giving them all the pain.
6: When that was gone, do you remember, like, what was going through your head? Were you like, what am I doing? Like, did you feel like you're on the wrong track?
7: Well, uh, I don't know how to explain Here's the funny thing. Then it says that there came a point. After a month working on my father's feet, I don't feel disgusting anymore. I feel kind of like it. He liked it? Yeah. I don't know why. It's just like making me, uh, oh, it seemed nice to work on people. Um, I don't know how to explain.
5: I just stopped falling in love with this job.
7: Yeah. I don't know how's it happened. It's just that like I work in here seven days of the week become part of my life, wake up in the morning, come here, work, go home, sleep, come here and work. So it's just become part of my life. When I got a day off, I don't know where to, where to go. I'm just staying home. Uh, let me come back out here and work. <laughs> that's what happened. It's just uh, I think that's how fall in love is. You don't know how it happen, when it's happened. It just happened. But It was a good
2: loss, I was thinking. I love this job. Man. So it sounds like he made this deal with fate, and he just got lucky. No. No. Kai
6: has a slightly different read on the whole thing. Well, so if he had won, would you have had to do it? No. No? No. No? No. Kai says the whole tea leaf deal was really just about Dennis. I think at that point, in the back of his head, he wanted to do it. Just an excuse. I think he was just looking for a sign. I'd have to ask him, I guess. And when I did ask Dennis, he didn't really agree with his brother.
7: Well, it's just, uh, how you say it, so But he didn't entirely disagree either. Not that because I wanted to do it, it's just like, it's kind of, I'm using my brother to push me to work for my dad. That's, what, do you, what do you mean by that? I don't think he wanted to make his own decision. It might be better I'll just work for my dad, but I don't want to face him. So if my brother just pushed me, okay, I'll be facing him. Ah. That's, that could be what happened.
3: So he just needed a push. All right. What a wimpy thing to do, though, you know, when you think about it. Why is that wimpy? Well, I mean, he he wanted to be a masseuse, you know. and He, he didn't, didn't know have, what he wanted. You know, he knew, and he set up his brother to make him do it. No. So it's, it's very no. If, if you call it wimpy, I call it wimpy. I call it uh, powerfully
2: wimpy, muscularly wimpy. <laughs> Meaning what? What does that mean? Meaning that, uh, oh, I got one for you. I'm going to lay this. You ready for this? Maybe the new strength is understanding your own wimpiness. What do you think about that? Ooh, I just, I just tied you into a philosophical <laughs> knot right there, buddy. You're going to be thinking about that one for years. I'm thinking about it. I'm overthinking no, just, about just it. Just that take one. it
5: in. Take it in, the complexity.
2: can i speak now? now david's gonna say something
5: this is who we are i mean that's the reality on the ground we're just weak we need help and i actually think this gives this gives us a new way to think about and understand virtue i think it gives us a much richer view of human nature
2: Thanks to Pat Walters, our Chinatown correspondent, and to Thomas Schelling, who's written many, many books, including The Strategy of Conflict, and to Adam
4: Davidson from The Amazing Planet Money team, and to David Eagleman. Something to note since this story aired is that Thomas Schelling passed away in 2016 at the age of 95, and Mary Belenke passed away in 2020 at the age of 87. David Eagleman released a new book in 2020 called Livewired. You should check it out. It's a great read.
6: Radio Lab was created by Jad Abumrad and is edited by Soren Wheeler. Lulu Miller and Latif Nasser are our co-hosts. Susie Lechtenberg is our executive producer. Dylan Keefe is our director of sound design. Our staff includes Simon Adler, Jeremy Bloom, Becca Bressler, Rachel Cusick, W. Harry Fortuna, David Gable, Maria Paz Gutierrez, Sindhu Nonesambandam, Matt Kilty, Annie McEwen, Alex Neeson, Sara Kari, Anna Roskuit Paz, Sarah Sandback, Ariane Wack, Pat Walters, and Molly Webster. With help from Bowen Wong. Our fact checkers are Diane Kelly, Emily Krieger, and Natalie Middleton.
5: Hi, my name is Teresa.
1: I'm calling from Colchester in Essex, UK. Leadership support for Radiolab science programming is provided by the Gordon and Betty Moore Foundation, Science Sandbox, the Foundation Initiative, and the John Templeton Foundation. Foundational support for Radiolab was provided by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation.